Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom World Cup Daily Podcast. Uh, Mark, over to you. Jeez. Conventional wisdom seems to be a very sort of last century thing, doesn't it? Um, however, boiling hot conditions, um, shortening your batting lineup to have Adil Rashid batting at eight, and then deciding to field in the heat and humidity of the day, um, leaving yourself short in the batting department is just completely and utterly baffling to me. Regardless of anything else, regardless of the, the changes, the three changes that they made, um, I, I didn't see them coming. I mean, I, I thought that, that Wokes and Curran would probably not play. I didn't see um, the change to bring in Willie as well uh, <laughs> um, and leave out Livingston. I mean, that blew my mind uh, right from the off. Um, however, the, the basic decisions around what you do if you win, won the toss and the composition of your team and how that plays into the decision you've made has just completely blown my mind today. Um, it was it was shambolic, the whole thing. None of it made any sense. Um, and then, you know, despite the fact that we had a couple of windows of opportunity, having taken sort of five wickets before the 40th over and, and kind of looked as though the, the damage limitation was possible, England just didn't have the energy to be able to kind of drive home that advantage or slender advantage that they gained. Um, and in the end, what you got was an absolute massacre. Um, I, I spoke about the um, the crumb of comfort for England after the, the Afghanistan loss being that, you know, that South Africa could very easily stink the place out, having looked like the best team in the tournament. Um, and it happened. <laughs> but then England went and stunk the place out twice as bad. Uh, it was it was very, very poor today. And, um, you know, there'll be all kinds of inquests about sort of, you know, the... the not playing for, not giving fifty over cricket any sort of real prominence, I suppose, in in the, in the in the domestic calendar, which I don't think has made a massive amount of difference to this tournament. But um, if you're 
it would have been a bad look, I think, or at least the, the cricketing gods look down upon sort of things like that and, and don't tend to do you any favours. You know, it would have been perhaps horrendous to think that a team or a country that, that sort of doesn't give any sort of real um, real seriousness to 50-over cricket would end up being back-to-back 50-over champions. I don't think the, the, the gods of cricket work that way. So pretty disappointing day, I'm afraid. Mm. Well, uh, yes, England have some sort of record, their record World Cup defeat. Uh, it looked in danger of being a, a record World Cup defeat overall for some late whacking. I just, just about like, won the toss and then right from the moment, actually, the toss was won. Everything went wrong and South Africa are brilliant and we'll get to them. But I mean, it's hard to think of a game, to be honest, that's been so dictated by that decision. And I'm trying to work out what he could have been thinking, basically. And, and is there something in that I think maybe stats at the venue say that chasing is the way to go? And is there a possibility that England are too stats-driven? Because I was thinking that you got later in the innings, they brought back David Willey, who was, you know, struggling so much with cramp. He actually pulled up for his first ball in that over. And then when he did bowl, it was a big full toss, gets pumped for six. And actually that was, even at that stage, I think maybe it's it's 340 and we can keep them too. And then from that point on, they hit, I think, 79 off the next four overs. And that is com- game completely gone. And Atkinson had over the show at that point now he also went for runs in the open as well but that, that felt a bit like you know that they've just gone with seniority there that they haven't like they almost had a pre-game plan that Willie was going to be at the end and they haven't adapted in game to think oh Atkins is actually bowling all right we know he's a new guy but actually let's give him a go and, and, and is, is that a thing that you think filters through that they're I d- a bit I too don't, I don't know look I, I just think that the the decision making around um, if you go all the way back to sort of squad selection in the, in the first place, the decision-making around everything that happened today made no sense whatsoever. I could have almost understood the idea that you wanted to chase runs if you were still, you know, with Rashid coming in at 10 or 9 or 10 or 11 or wherever he's been batting over the last eight years for England. But it makes no sense at all, regardless of what the stats say, that if you think that chasing is the way to go, why do you then on purpose, shorten your batting lineup to the extent where Adil Rashid is batting at eight. It just, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, the, 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 the whole thing is, performance-wise, was, was pretty average. I mean, bowling-wise, I think Atkinson did pretty well um, after his first over um, and showed that he had, you know, the, the sort of, the, the right sort of attributes to be a middle overs bowler in the way that Curran didn't. Um, but once they got 400 on the board, once the team sort of walked off the field as though they'd been, you know, they'd been in a battle, you know, it wasn't like they'd just done 50 overs in the field. It was like they'd done 250 overs in the field. They all looked absolutely wrecked. There was no way on earth they were chasing. They wouldn't have chased 300 in the state that they were in. I'm, t- I'm telling you, they, they were absolutely cooked. Clarsen didn't make his way back out onto the field again after his 100. Brilliant, brilliant innings. He was absolutely smashed to pieces. I remember the, there was that incredibly hot day, the Durham, the Durham game. England, mm. South Africa during last summer. Varsity van der Dussen made a brilliant 100 and got up to, what, 41, 42. It was broiling that day. Potts had heat stroke, didn't he? Va- yeah, van der Dussen said, I asked him at the end of the game, I said, so, you know, how are the conditions? Oh, you know, we're from South Africa. We, we kind of, we get conditions like that. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too bad. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, they're carrying people out of the ground throughout the course of the day for, <laughs> through heat stroke. Um, but that today, it took them down as well. You know, the, the South Africans struggled with it as much as, as much as we did. The conditions were extreme and we made the decision off our own bat to go out there and, and field in the, in the harshest of it and, and picked a team that was not equipped then to go and chase down whatever they set. It was just madness. 
Mm. Uh, the stats don't say really that chasing at the venue is better either. There's been in 23 previous ODIs, a side fielding first has won 12 times and the side batting first has won 11 times. So it, the more you try and understand the decision, the less sense it makes, especially when you then consider that South Africa when they've batted first in this tournament so far, first scored over 400 and then scored 311 against Australia. Mm. The only time they've um, batted second was when they lost to the Netherlands. Mm. It just makes complete and utter no sense whatsoever. And on the other decisions they made in the field, the death bowling and all the rest, they're not an inexperienced side. There are so many leaders on that field. There's, you've got Joe Root, you've got Ben Stokes back, David Milan is a vastly experienced cricketer, Johnny Bairstow. All these players, the bowlers, even David Willey making his tournament debut today, he's still a vastly experienced ODI bowler. They have so many leaders and yet none of them once thought, let's stop, let's actually think about what we're doing here. This isn't working. Let's put Gus Atkinson on at the death. Let's change this up. No one said in the in the team selection, do you know what? I think this might actually be a bad idea, picking this, picking this balance. It's just the more you try and understand it, the more ununderstandable it becomes. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, this this it really did have every hallmark of kind of like an England overseas horror show, didn't it? You know, you got questionable decision at the toss, tick. You know, multiple changes to a side, tick. Dropped catches, tick. Batters who then fall right into the opposition plans, tick. Bad reviews, tick. And then also the tail enders just giving it a whack to you know, to show that actually the pitch was fine and the, and the opposition bowlers could be taken on. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and then also, I mean, because the tricky thing with, with the bowling is that there were times when there was like, not just that they bowled well and when that's separate 250 for five, you are thinking, oh, they may keep them to 300 here and actually they're in the game with that long tail. But also there was actually quite a lot of heart from Adil Rashid and Reese Topley in particular, and Gus Atkinson, I guess, to come back from that first over. But those two, so Rashid was struggling with illness and Topley injured his finger and we'll talk more about that but like that I mean not that we're taking positives it's just amazing to think about how quickly it disintegrated from a position that England were doing okay and there were some players doing like playing quite well to completely world cup wheels off car crashing into the wall I mean I I listened I was listening on the on the way up here to the radio and and Heinrich Klaassen won the man of the match award for you know stunning and yet another stunning innings um from him what a what a player he is um and he talked about he talked about when they lost those couple of wickets and they lost miller and markram and miller in, in pretty short quick succession and Clarkson sort of said look you know the the, the opposition are flagging here they've, they've got a window but if we can just hold them off for a couple of overs you know sit in because Clarkson's the numbers in the innings what 109 from 67 looked like he just pogoed it all over the place, but he didn't. He had little periods of time where he just sat in. So we take 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 another couple of overs out of the innings for them. Make the bowlers have to come back and bowl some more. He said they they are absolutely they're out on their feet, and we will get the opportunity to do what we did to them in the last in the last ten overs. So it's, you know they were they were thinking very very clearly about the conditions and how that was going to affect the effectiveness of of England's bowlers at the back end. Um, you're right. You know, Topley came back in. He's he's got a, a fracture in that finger, so he, he had a massive splint on when he came out to field. I mean, even even that was bizarre. He came back out. He came back on with the, with his fingers, his two, you know, his his forefinger and 
um, and his middle finger, his index finger, his middle finger, finger taped together. And you're thinking, well, he's coming back out because he can bowl straight away. He came yeah. back out, stood in the field for, didn't bowl for ten overs. Why yeah. did he come back on? Just there was a bit of time in the heat. There was, yeah. no, there was no reason for him to come back on. It was just, just nothing made any sense from England today. Nothing at all. Um, uh, you know, and on top of that, South Africa played quite brilliantly. You know, they they played like a team who, um, again. We'll see what happens later on, but if they are almost certain to to be going through, along with India and New Zealand, um, and you know, have they finally kind of kind of got the players and the mentality to go to go where other South African teams have not been able to go in the past? Because on a performance like today, you would think that they that they could possibly do that. Yeah, you say there's a lot of heart shown by Adol Rashid. Like we we mentioned earlier, England would have known before the before the game that he was sick that he, was he Ill, wasn't yeah. going to be. Um, going to be at his best and they still gave him no choice but to bowl those 10 overs really he was in as the sole spinner apart from Joe Root it just he didn't have any choice other than to show that heart and it's kind of like he's the most irre- irreplaceable bowler in their lineup but it showed how irreplaceable he was today by the fact they still picked him even though he was nipping off the field presumably to be sick every five well, minutes yeah and, and again you know if you, if you know that 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 is the case and you know that he is unbelievably important to you in the thing, then why why send him out there in the heat of the, heat of the day? Again, it's just just everything about today was baffling, completely baffling. And, and England deserved nothing, um, you know, no credit whatsoever. Joss himself said that he got it wrong at the toss. Mm. Matthew Mott fronted up at the end and said that they, that they got probably got the selection wrong and got the decision at the toss. I mean, these are the things, that's what they get paid to do. And that was a really, really bad day. Mm. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit more about South Africa uh, and then and then do a bit more in England? Uh, I mean, that, that partnership, I mean, it's one of the, the, the great World Cup partnerships, really, isn't it? It was 156 off 77 balls. Uh, 79 of those runs came off the last four overs they batted together. And we mentioned Klaassen, and he is maybe the inform or one of the inform white ball batters on the planet. But Janssen was absolutely brilliant, wasn't he? I mean, you know, we, we know he's really talented, but this yeah. was a, this was another proper mature innings as well as a, a brutal one, wasn't well, it? Well, I, I saw him, and I can't, forgive me, I can't recall whether or not it was watching him at the back end of an SA20 game or whether it was playing for South Africa, but I watched him do something similar that, to that before. He's unbelievably uh, clean at striking the ball, sort of a long, lazy swing of the arms, sort of technically perfect. Um, and so he does, you know, he had the, the idea that South Africa's batting lineup finishes at, at six is, is, has always been incorrect. Um, but again, you know, he comes in with Klaassen virtually on his knees as well. So it carries him over the line and plays, you know, I think you know, it was a, there was a pretty big case for him to have been man of the match as well as uh, instead of Klaassen, despite Klaassen's brilliance with it, because he picked up two wickets as well in the, in the early part with a new ball. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic cricketer. Um, and he could, you know, he could be the, the guy, we sort of talk about South Africa's prospects going forward, but he could be the guy that kind of knits the whole thing together for them. They've obviously got a lot of quality in the, in the bowling department anyway. They, they've got a very heavy top six, but he's the one that knits the two parts together and allows them to play, um, you know, to play a, a balanced team in a way that, that England had no balance at all. And, and we, we kind of knew this. Sorry to go back to England again, but we knew this, but we were talking about it after the Afghanistan game, knowing that Stokes was going to come back in, that wh- however they did that, it was going to leave a hole somewhere. At, in the end, the decisions they made sort of left two or three holes. I, that was the way that I saw it. Um, but, but South Africa, I think, in their, in their makeup. Um, you know the, the issue for them, perhaps Maharaj is you know, you know on turning tracks. I think he's he's really really good. Um, that they don't perhaps have that sort of variety, 
Janssen aside in terms of the bowling attack, but you give them a chance to put runs on the ball with that lineup, nine out of ten times they will because they are they're a fantastically strong batting lineup and they're all in great nick. Even Hendricks didn't know he was playing until twenty minutes before mm. before the toss. Um, Bavuma had to sit it out injured and he came out and played quite magnificently against the new ball and got them off to you know built that platform to begin with so you know even when they they lose one of their their top six or batters steps out they've got other guys who are capable of coming in and and filling that gap quite nicely so fair play to them they were brilliant today yeah I guess that's one of the things isn't it catches that you can talk all you want about like England's team balance but when you just look down those two lineups and you're picking it based on current form or what they've done in the last few years or whatever England's is just not as good as South Africa's, right? Like South Africa can play that balance because they have a properly bankable top six and bowlers who are going to, you know, take wickets and and be relied upon to an extent. You know, they, okay, they'll go, they'll travel on their day, but England just don't have that in either department, really, do they? Yeah, I, I kind of think what it shows is that you can have all the best players on paper or all the really good players on paper, but if you can't knit it together into a proper lineup then it's not going to work you have to have that that team rather over those individuals i think what, what's really kind of screwed england in a way is obviously stokes not being able to bowl they can't mm. have that balance that they really want they and, can't and have that perfect balance. and terribly. wokes being not not very good which is something that they didn't plan for because wokes has been their mr reliable for, for so many years they mm. didn't plan for him to, to go for runs um in the tournament um but south africa have gone with six specialists a bowling all-rounder and four bowlers such a traditional kind of like no frills approach to it and it's been working for them if you forget the netherlands loss which you know can happen to anyone i guess um and yeah they're all informed so you need to have the informed players you need to be able to mold them into a side you need to have established roles and as much as south africa's bowling attack suffered with no man rick norkey and no susanna magala they've still gone in with clear roles there's been no chopping and changing they've gone in with lungi and gidi and um uh Janssen with with the new ball and then they've gone back with Rabada and with Kutsi um as the change bowlers if you look at England they've done different things every game they had Curran opening in the first game and then he wasn't opening and then and then he was kind of opening but kind of not opening so it, it you know it just hasn't felt like there's been a defined clear approach from England with either their balance in the side or the roles they've got the players doing in the side and while some of it comes back to Stokes it does also come back to a lack of preparation of being able to find what that balance is um, with the first choice players available again. Um, but the players just aren't as good as they were in 2019 either. You know, it's been four years. Um, Johnny Bairstow hasn't played ODI cricket for, for a year with his leg injury. And it was it was a bit much to expect him to come back and be like England's best ODI opener again straight away. Um, Stokes has had a hip niggle for the whole tournament until today, but we expected him to come in and be the saviour again today. It just it just wasn't right. It just hasn't been the right scenario, the right players, the right balance. Just nothing about it has been right, to be honest. Given all that, what what, what do England do? I mean, they're, they're theoretically still in, you know... <laughs> Not, not you know, if, if they then, win their next five games, they will probably be in the semi-finals. It doesn't get any easier. They have Sri Lanka next, and we'll talk about them against Netherlands later. Uh, and then it's India and Australia. Um, and I guess also they now have a question probably over how to replace Topley in the <laughs> squad. Because uh, he's, you know, been, probably been their best player this tournament, hasn't he? Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, they didn't start with him. He didn't he didn't play the first game. I yeah. mean, again, Katia mentioned it. He didn't, for me... Anytime that Reese Topley is fit, he takes a new ball for England in, in 50 over cricket, but he, he didn't even make it into the first 11. And now he's got this fractured finger, 
we heard again at, at the back end there. So Joffre Archer was named as, as one of the, the bowling replacements. Joffre's there in India, but he's not he's not fit enough to play. So mm. England will have to be calling up from outside of the uh, the, the name sort of sixteen in order to replace Reese Topley. Should you know should that should the worst happen and he be ruled out for the rest of the tournament? Um, you know so. Again, I go back to remember looking at the squad in the first place and thinking, okay, they've picked six. They've picked six quick bowlers, which I think is overkill in India. I don't care about the travelling or the rest. Everyone's got to do the same thing. But not only have they got six of them, they got three of them who will do the same thing. In in in, Curran, Willie, and Topley, all left arm bowlers, all of whom would prefer to bowl with the brand new ball. And none of whom are particularly effective for you in the in the middle middle phases of play. So if 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 England do have to replace Reese Topley, my, my guess would be that they call up Bryden Cass, and then at least they would have somebody who is a, is, is a bona fide middle overs bowler. It's the role that they've been kind of grooming him for, um, but he didn't make it into the squad in the first place. Uh, so you know, it's a, a more yet more muddled thinking. Joffre, I mean, what what Joffre is not is not ready to come in and take his place in the side. What's he doing there? Why was he named as a replacement? Yeah, um, it's it, the whole thing is completely and utterly mad. I guess what England would say with Archer is that he is there for rehabilitation, and this is the best way for him to rehabilitate. I suppose. I mean, I'm not an expert on on fast bowler rehabilitation. No, no, but, but then, but then, whoever whoever you then call in to replace him has not been there is not accustomed mm. is not acclimatized to conditions hasn't been you know working with the team hasn't been playing with the team so you're expecting somebody to fly in from somewhere else and perhaps make make his bow in the in the very next match with England needing to win five out of five I mean that's not that's not forward planning as far as I can see yeah yeah it's, it's <laughs> that is it I mean you know <laughs> it's all of a sudden starting to feel even even longer um <laughs> I guess look, you mentioned, you know, the, the likes of Butler and Mott are in these positions to make decisions. And as much as, you know, we've had loads and loads of questions and sort of not getting through more of them, but lots of them are, why did England chase? Why did England pick, uh, make those three changes? But we have had some about, um, about Mott, uh, Jack asking, like, when Mott was appointed, one of his key selling points was him regenerating the Australia side by knowing when to move on from younger players, when to bring in young talent to keep things fresh. Uh, why has he been able to do this with England despite a very large selection of players playing ODI series? And then um, a uh, more succinct question from Richard Brereton, who says, is Butler the, the right choice to be captain? I guess this is, if, okay, maybe England win five from five, get to the semis, everything's rosy. They lose one more game. These are the kind of questions people are going to be asking, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think the time but the time perhaps to answer that is once, once the whole thing is done, mm. although it has been, it has been my suspicion um, and, and was even up until England won the, the the World T20 that perhaps you know there wasn't as much sort of clarity of, of thought and vision and, and certainly not the sort of the same sort of tactical acumen moving from from Morgan to to Joss, fabulous player you know you know one of England's very very best but just my suspicion was that kind of he didn't he didn't quite have his finger on the pulse doesn't read the game quite as well as the guy who who was before him but you know I suppose you could then say well who who does. Um, on the on the question of um, you know why why haven't England sort of regenerated? Well, they, they haven't played any cricket. Mm. They haven't played any fifty over games. How do you regenerate something when there's no when no one's playing? And then when you when you do get the odd opportunity to kind of play, you, you've you've got players who are being rested for 
um, you know, because they've been involved in test matches or whatever it might be. And the, the schedule kind of didn't, hasn't allowed for Matthew Mott and for, for Joss Butler to kind of get that type of preparation leading into the tournament that Owen Morgan had for four years leading into the one at home. Um, and you can, you can point fingers on that score in terms of it, it, that being their fault. But I also think that their hands are slightly tied behind their backs in terms of the way that, in terms of the way that the schedule fell for them in, in the run up to this. Hmm. Um, you know, which which you could then, you know, the, the argument against that, I suppose, is you turn around and say, well, they could have they could have had a, a proper go at, at trying to figure out what the roles were in the three matches against Ireland before they left. Could have. Mm-hmm. Um, did did they treat sort of you know the the, pre- the the entire preparation to the tournament with the seriousness that, that perhaps it deserved, knowing that they were going in there as champions and um, and the conditions in India were likely to be very very difficult and very very different. But but I don't I, I, at this moment in time they have what they have and and talking about sort of whether the, whether or not they're the right people going forward is something that we should do once it's done mm. maybe we're in for a white ball reset 2015 style <laughs> it could be it um could be. i think well we're going to get it in the caribbean aren't we we pretty much know that the the, the b team um the, the, all of those young charges from phil salt and uh, et cetera, et cetera, will all be going to the caribbean as england start the cycle for the next one um, and that's where the regeneration comes. The, and I guess that's when the question about about Mott and Butler are they the are they the right people to kind of take that forward, or, or do you need to to swing the axe um, now and uh, and get a whole new group in to sort of start afresh? Um, but again, I, I don't think I don't think this is the right time to to decide that. Yeah, I I, I, I think I agree with you. Like, but Butler and Mott have kind of had their hands tied in preparation for specifically this tournament especially after winning the t20 like you know they kind of had license to do whatever after winning that because everything was still on track and they always had the promise of the 2019 champions coming back like joe root who's not available for most odi cricket and, and johnny bairstow after his leg injury and when ben stokes says he's unretiring who's going to say no to having ben stokes in your 50 over world cup squad so these players probably not going to be the players going forward because they're not going to be the ones going into the 2027 we're at now world cup mm-hmm. But I don't really see in terms of selection wise with those specific set of players rather than the balance of the squad, I don't see much different than anyone else would have done in that scenario. No, I, and yeah. I, I agree with you there. I completely agree with you there. And, um, and the one guy who in the Odo Cricket England did play who probably could put a case forward is, is Darab Milan. You know, he's not a young guy who's regenerating the side, but he, you know, he won his place fair and square, didn't he? He did. So. And, and put it this way, that, uh, as, as Katya rightly points out, that... The, most of this squad, ninety percent of it, will not be around for the next one. So there will be there will be a regeneration, and then you know, and then it will certainly be a, a question of okay, well, who are the who are the right guys to carry this forward? Um, you, you you might see if if the thing ends up being as chastening as it looks like it being that that even people that you think might might just be there for the next two or three years might just decide you know what I've had enough, um, and and you wouldn't blame them either. I would I would have thought after. Um, I say after it hasn't finished yet, but you know, as we are at the moment, if if things don't improve, then I can't see too. You know, even Joss might decide. You know what? I've had enough, um, and and throw the towel in with fifty over cricket altogether, as as we seem to have done in this country as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to uh, to end part one. Uh, in part two, we'll try and keep ourselves from talking about England and instead discuss Sri Lanka's first win of the World Cup and tomorrow's top of the table clash between New Zealand and India. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Sri Lanka are on the board. Uh, This was actually technically one of the closest games at the World Cup so far. Uh, Sri Lanka chasing down 263 with with 10 balls to spare. Maybe we we should have started with this game. Uh, (laughs) Katia, Sri Lanka actually haven't been that bad at this tournament, have they? And 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 they were they were quite good today, I suppose. No, and this is a much better game to talk about. Actually, this is a much happier game. Um, yeah. So Sri Lanka obviously had that loss to South Africa first up when South Africa posted um, four hundred and four hundred and too many, basically yeah. whatever it was, and that's not a good look when you're trying to say Sri Lanka are actually not that bad. But it was a really flat pitch, and they had a really really good go at chasing it. Kusal Mendes was absolutely outstanding as he has been throughout the tournament. Um, and then against Pakistan, they they post- posted well over 300 and got undone by brilliance from Mohamed Rizwan. Um, so they've kind of fell victim to a couple of anom- anomalously good performances um, so far in the tournament. And then they lost against Australia. Um, and while that was kind of obviously fair and square, um, it wasn't a bad loss. It was, If you look on paper, it's Sri Lanka suffering from a load of injuries, having to replace their captain in the early stage of the tournament. To not lose to Australia absolutely horrifically was actually quite good. Um, and then against the Netherlands today, they had them, they, they collapsed from, they were seven for one at one point and then they were about 96 for six, something like that. 91 for six, Netherlands were, yeah. 91 for six. Um, and then you had a brilliant partnership between um, Cybrand Engelbrecht and Logan Van, Van Beek. I think I think Cybrand Engelbrecht has now qualified for pod favourite status. Yeah. The amount we've talked about him. <laughs> yeah. Personal favourite status as well, actually. Yeah. Um, he's really interesting as well. So he, have we talked about him much on this podcast? A, a few times, but, but do, do, <laughs> does he come up much? Do, do you know the story? <laughs> no, what's so, the story? Uh, to take it away. So he played for South Africa in the Under-19 World Cup yonks ago, so like ages ago. In in the Coley and Williamson Under-19 World Cup. Wow. And he took a brilliant catch in it as well, that if you Google greatest catch ever, it comes up from that <laughs> tournament. Yeah, and then he couldn't make the jump from South Africa Under-19 to like South Africa main adult squad. Um, and eight years later, having not made his international debut, he quit cricket altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, some years later, decided to go and play for the Netherlands well but but not even so he he was I can't remember the name of the company he worked for was but he you know he's got some business qualifications and stuff so he worked his way up the ladder there and then they were just wanted to expand their European office so were like well we'll send you out to the Netherlands it wasn't at all like he was aiming to do that and then when he got there with his wife he was just that's the only people he knew there so he was like well I've got to make some friends so I'll I'll, I'll play I'll, I'll play some cricket yeah, yeah, and then and then does pretty well. And actually, they didn't even know he was able to qualify until after they had already qualified for the tournament. That was when they realised that he, uh, he he was eligible to play. And now he's yeah making 70 in a 
in a World Cup. Yeah, and that was his maiden ODI 50 as well, having mm. made his ODI debut in the first match <laughs> of the tournament against Pakistan. It was also Logan Van Beek's maiden ODI 50. Is um, it Beek or Bake? Oh, we go for either. Let's go for I Bake. I think it's Bake. I think the double E is an A. I have no idea. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I have just... a Dutch housemate. I'll ask her. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so they had a really, really good partnership and the Netherlands ended up posting 262, um, which is actually really good. Um, and then, as you said, South Africa, um, South Africa, Sri Lanka chased it down with 10 balls to spare. Um, and the most interesting thing about that pace, that chase was Sidira Samara Wickwimmer, mm. who finished on 91 not out, so seven runs short of a century. Um, played for the team, didn't play for his individual master of century. Uh, <laughs> I let that sit there. Um, yeah, and it was 10 balls uh, left in, in, in the win, which is the closest uh, result of the tournament so far. Still not that close because they won by five wickets, 10 balls remaining. But, mm. you know, you've got to take your small victories. You certainly do. Or because we've had lots of big victories. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. And it does take Sri Lanka above England now as well on mm. net run rate. England are off the bottom net run rate by 0.002. That's how much they are above Afghanistan at the moment. And I guess, you know, Sri Lanka, they have had three defeats. So like England, I guess, very little margin for error, if any at all. But those three defeats came against three good teams, as Cassie said. I mean, they'll have yeah. to play out their skins if they are to make a push to the semifinals. But their next game is against England. I guess that, again, just becomes another absolutely massive game for both teams. Whoever loses it, almost certainly out of contention. And whoever wins it will have a glimmer of hope, I suppose. Mm. Um, I, they're not a team to be messed about with, I think, um, mm. Sri Lanka. You know, Kusel Mendes is a, is a serious player. They've got, they've got very handy spin options and they kind of you know as as a collective they they perform above the uh, the sum of their parts so they're they're, the, they're exactly the sort of team that, that you probably don't want to um stick in on a boiling hot day uh, <laughs> and give it you know and give the give the opportunity to put put a challenging total on the board you know 280 300 on the board in the in, with the state of, uh, of of our minds at the moment would be uh, would be a real challenge yeah and especially quite a good batting side in in particular against a, a fraying perhaps in bowling attack mm. could be I mean, it's got yeah another banana skin written all over it i guess um india take on new zealand tomorrow a top of the table clash uh it's a big game between two big teams even if both are pretty set to make the semis mm. um but i guess uh india have a decision to make over how to replace hardik pandya who is injured for that maybe back for their next game which is against england more good news for england that <laughs> hardik pandya might be back for that uh butch how do india replace him just for, for this for this one-off game? Um, yeah, well, I mean, the options, I suppose, are to, to weaken the batting lineup a little and, and perhaps play Ashwin, have Judasia go up to, to six if they think it's going to rag. Um, but more likely, they'll, they'll bring in Surya Kumar Yadav to replace Hardik in the, in the batting lineup. And then, then that might put Shardul Thakur's participation at risk they might decide to go with the, the specialist quick in, in Shami instead of him um, but I'm guessing that conditions wise that, that they'll probably make that call then I, I would say that they would be low to, to, to shorten the batting um, you know given that they've had a couple of couple of chases which have which which in the end they got th got through comfortably but could have gone either way particularly the the 
the game against Australia where mm-hmm. um, where they almost made a mess of it and, and would have done had it not been for the for the drop catch. So um, I, I think that's the way they'll go. I think the interesting thing for me is going to is going to be how New Zealand go because they've kind of you know, they've they've it's not been easy. Obviously they played they played England first up, you know, played the World Champions first up, but they've kind of had a bit of a, a, a stroll fest since then. So it'll be a, a first perhaps real real challenge for their sort of championship credentials in this one against India and India have just looked impregnable haven't they so um it's a it's a tough ask for anybody playing against them at home yeah i guess he's going to have had england and, and three other easy games or maybe just four easy games just four <laughs> easy games yeah i mean there you go yeah yeah katia how, how good are new zealand i mean tim sally's back for them that's that's good i guess i don't know if he'll actually play but they are a team that it's hard to work out how good they are and yet as England have shown, as Africa have shown, there is a skill just in negotiating World Cup group stages, which New Zealand did well last time. They, you know, they beat the teams below them, and that was basically enough. And they've done that again. But, but do you see them as having that quality to push the very, very best, which I guess India are? Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say the team that hasn't lost a match in the tournament so far are, are pretty good. Um, I guess they don't have the star quality that India have. They, especially without. Kane Williamson they don't mm. have that that player who you look at and go you know that's the one that's going to take the game away from us having said you know full full transparency of an England fan who fell victim to Ratchin Ravindra um but they always do this like it's so hard to say with New Zealand oh they're underdogs they fly under the radar because that's all that you say with New Zealand and they are consistently really really good you know Mitchell Santner is the top of the bowling is he still the top of the bowling rankings I think he must mm. be you know, Matt Henry's up there as well. I mean, he's Henry. he's fantastic. I, I love watching him bowl. Yeah. I think he's such a good bowler. Um, I think that the whole squad looks damn good. I mean, just guys like Glenn Phillips and stuff who are more than capable of doing exactly what he's playing some, you know, ridiculous eye-catching innings. But they're also incredibly competent, and they, and they seem to be very very happy within their own skin in terms of the way they want to go about putting making runs in the tournament. They kind of they've not gone mad in the power play. They've made sure they've not lost wickets, and they've kind of you know gradually. Um, accelerated throughout the course of the innings, and, the, and their team sets up well to to do that. And the bowling lineup is 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 as good as anybody's in the competition, really, bar, barring India. If if you know if spin is the if spin is the the order of the day, so I think they're a fantastic team. And the, I guess the only difference for them this time is that actually that I don't think they are that they're not going under the radar at all. I think they are very much and have been since the start. One of the you know one of the four teams tip for tip for the semi finals. Um, and that they are they are among the the four best teams in it. Um, if you now if you now replace England with uh, with um, Australia, and, uh, you know in in the tournament who, who looked frighteningly good the other day, didn't they? Australia. Oh, if uh, if only that uh, if only Osama Mir hadn't dropped David Warner, it might be a different story. But that, but Australia now seems to have hit their stride, and um, you know I think I think you're looking at a, a, a top four realistically, which will be which will look like New Zealand, India, Australia, South Africa now. I think New Zealand look in, incredibly well balanced as a side. Like if we're going on the theme of balance, which this podcast has been and which the World Cup arguably has been, New Zealand possibly look, especially with the injury to Hardik Pandya, they look incredibly well balanced. You know, they've mm-hmm. got the way they use Glenn Phillips with the ball is is really really clever. With Ratchin Ravindra at the top of the order as well, that's another option with the ball. Um, and they also look like a side that just isn't going to panic. So against Afghanistan the other day, they, they were actually in quite a vulnerable position and they could have easily, and if, you know, if Afghanistan had held their catches, they might have done. But there was no sense that they were going to panic. They were going to find their way to get up to a defendable score and they were then going to defend it. So 
if we're looking at England collapsing today, if we're looking at South Africa having a panic against the Netherlands, New Zealand just looks so cool and calm and like nothing's going to phase them no matter what happens. And that's such a great attribute to have in a World Cup that's full of upsets and full of potential banana skins. Um, and they haven't slipped up yet. And, you know, they have every, if anyone is going to be India, it's going to be New Zealand. And if any match is going to turn out a close result in this World Cup, it's going to be the one tomorrow. So if it doesn't, then, you know, we know what to expect. Holding you to that. You can do that. <laughs> well, uh, that, 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 that is all for today. There'll be uh, plenty more discussion on England to come and also on, on all the other teams. And then please do join us tomorrow after that India-New Zealand game. Podcast Network.